Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael back with you on the pod. We certainly appreciate you tuning in. Michael Novak, how's it going? It's going well. I feel a little bit um, duped by uh, our weather people. I don't know if you remember last week, uh, if you looked at the seven-day forecast, we were promised lows in the mid-50s tomorrow night and the night after. And lo and behold, you look at it today and the lows are only going to reach upper 60s. So that's a 15 degree swing that I felt like I was gypped out of. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll still take it, though. That's I'll take that, it. That yeah. is a lot better than the weather we have been having. I was looking forward to being a little chilly. Yeah. Though, um, a few nights this week. Well, put your faith in 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 weather forecasters. You must not have lived in Texas very long. <laughs> I'll so. tell you, I'm supposed to run in the morning and there's a 90 to 100 percent chance of rain. And I'm almost willing to put five dollars uh-huh. on the table right now to there say it rain. will not rain tomorrow. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly not. Man, did you have a good Labor Day? Yeah, it was good. We grilled out uh, hot dogs and hamburgers. What'd you do for Man, Labor Day? I uh, I sat under a pleasant sky with a rainbow in the distance, a peaceful scene, and blasted the winged messengers of peace out of the sky <laughs> with a twelve gauge. Um, that is to say, uh, went dove hunting. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it was a good time. Um, yeah, I shot twelve, so that's a little not, not quite as good as last year, but but still not bad. So, I I think your your kids will get some jalapeno poppers at one of the oh, next. Oh man, they're groups. gonna look forward to it. Uh, yeah. So you told me the limit was fifteen. What kept you from getting those last three? Oh man, there's just weren't as many birds this year. <laughs> Last year was the best I've seen it in my life without any exaggeration. Because last year I shot a limit in like an hour. That's probably not fun. It was is a blast. It? Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> you you want to be done in an hour? Well, it's just the constant action going sure. on. You know? I'd want to extend it, I guess. So, yeah, but when, so this year we went and it, like there were plenty of birds, but it, there were just long stretches between anything flying. And so you're kind of just sitting there on a very uncomfortable stool, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to, I don't know, wait for one to fly by. And by the time you see it, it's zoomed past you so fast. But um, yeah, still a good time. So that's that's what, there were actually three birds I shot at that I, you know, I really should have hit them. Ah, uh, so, well, the you tr- know, the truth. Yeah, my, comes my own <laughs> lack of skill really kept me from being there. But um, I didn't want to put you on the spot like that. Jacob, you know, it, it, it is a numbers game. Yeah. As, as Napoleon once said, uh, quantity has a quality all its own. So <laughs> I think of that. I'll have to think on that phrase. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a guy who, who his, his regard for human life could be described as expendable. So, uh, when describing his army, they were poorly trained, I suppose. And he said, just, you know, the more the merrier. <laughs> uh, well, G sound guy, G you've got boost and bummer today, man. What do you got to share with us? Well, okay, guys. Um, both happened yesterday. And so my boost, since I just follow up on Michael's YouTube TV, uh, Peacock, which is a new app by NBC. Uh, the Premier League's coming back this next weekend. Mm, nice. And you can watch all the games on Peacock, um, which is an app. Um, and I checked it out That's yesterday. That's the sport where they use their feet, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. App sport, I mean. <laughs> um but I checked it out yesterday, and it got even better than the Premier League um, as I found Airwolf. And Airwolf's an old TV series, and I'm aging myself and right now. But <laughs> as soon as I heard the theme song, and you recognize the theme song, it goes, 
I was just, I was like standing up and cheering. Lisa the dog was like, what's going on? I was like, it's Airwolf. I haven't seen this show in like 35 years. So I watched the opening first couple episodes. And uh, so Peacock. Nice. I hate to disappoint, but I don't recognize that at all. <laughs> <laughs> what year was Airwolf popular, G? It was in the early 80s. Okay. Um, maybe 84. It had four seasons, 84 to 88. Um, right around Night Rider. So it was Airwolf and Knight Rider. Those mm. were my shows growing up. So um, the bummer uh, happened yesterday after getting a haircut. When I get a haircut, I take my glasses off and put full faith in usually it's the lady cutting my hair because I can't see what's going on without my glasses. So walking out, um, I usually do a quick feel mm-hmm. just to see. To, I can usually tell by feel. And uh, I guess I'm getting older because I cannot step off the curb without twisting an ankle. Oh, no. And so that is my bummer, is that apparently I'm at the age where I cannot step off a curb without my ankle just Mm. twisting. And so I went right to the car and had that heat sensation shoot up your leg Mm. and uh, just, uh, yeah, gritted my teeth. Man. So. Your bones are getting fragile. I know. I know. (laughs) All right. Man, supplements. As a as a former glasses wearer, I can certainly relate to the uh, the blind faith you put in your <laughs> uh, uh, in in your barber to cut your hair. The, and my last haircut was the first haircut I had gotten actually two haircuts ago since I got LASIK, and so I could actually observe the process and watch the TV in the corner while while the guy's cutting my hair. And man, that was surreal. That was really something. So, Never again will you have a bad haircut. Um, I didn't plan this as a segue, but my barber's name is Moses. So. <laughs> Nice. Michael, we're continuing with the Pentateuch today. Um, we've covered Genesis and Exodus. Um, before we continue on, why don't you give the folks at home a brief recap? Yeah, theme of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's the foundation um, for what we read in the scriptures. And the theme, generally speaking, is the God of all of the universe calls Israel into covenant relationship with himself. He makes promises to them. And he gives them promises of land. He's going to give them a promised land where they can move into. Um, He gives them promises of people. They'll be more numerous than the sands on the seashore, uh, than the stars in the sky, and promises of relationship with him in order that they might experience blessing and might extend God's kingdom uh, to the entire earth. And the blessings are not ends in and of themselves. They're blessed so that they might turn back out and be a blessing to others. Um, And specifically speaking, um, God's purpose for Israel in Genesis uh, chapter 12 through Deuteronomy are the same as his original purposes for humanity in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And so he's wanting to basically reclaim what was lost Mm -hmm. through the fall and through sin. Um, and that's the story of redemption that we read throughout the yeah. entire Bible. And this just happens to be the beginning of that story. Yeah. And Genesis through the book of Ruth is really one prolonged story, one large narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pentateuch is really the beginning of that narrative of God restoring the whole world. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know how super correct this would be, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But I think we could view Israel collectively as sort of being... An Adam figure, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, 
And I think you can see that just in some of the imagery that surrounds like the temple and the tabernacle and other sort of the priestly garb. It's very Edenic sort of imagery. So, um, yeah, just like you said, the purposes of Israel, a lot like the original purposes in creation. Yeah. God did not give up on his people once they fell. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you see it culminating in the second Adam Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think I think that you see some some definite shadows in the nation of Israel of yeah. what God originally intended Adam to be. That's right. Um, well, very good. So last week we talked about um, Exodus. Israel uh, is is rescued by divine intervention out of slavery in Egypt. Um, they're now sort of uh, kind of in no man's land a little bit out, out mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Um, and God is revealing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai here we are at Leviticus. I've heard you describe Leviticus as the graveyard of Bible <laughs> reading plans. Um, I think that's because it's incredibly boring to read. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's spend an entire episode on it. So what's yeah. <laughs> what's the deal with Leviticus? Why do we struggle so much with this? Oh. Um, why is it the bane of anyone trying to read the Bible? If you get there, you might have, I mean, you got through Exodus 20 to the end of uh-huh. Exodus, which is no small feat in and of itself, because the end of Exodus is talking about kind of the architecture of the temple or tabernacle, and that's not easy reading or yep. it's tough sledding. Uh, but why do we struggle with Exodus? Why is it so hard to get through? I think there's a number of different reasons we can bat around a little bit. First is the cultural distance. I mean, it's just so different from us culturally in terms of the laws and the worship practices that it extrapolates. And it's just foreign. Um, unless you're a butcher, mm. <laughs> um, which is kind of a, a lost art, I guess, in in our day and age, Um uh, the book of Leviticus uh, might not make a whole lot of sense. Um, it's tedious with detail, um, a lot of detail that we might not even understand um, if we're not uh, fluent in the scriptures and even fluent in that culture of that day and age. And yet it lacks details in other places in, in not fully, I guess, to our modern satisfaction explaining things to us in sure. a lot of ways because— um, some of the things that are talked about, the original audience would not need an explanation. It would be something that would be easily grasped. And so we sort of have to judiciously read this. I don't want to say read between the lines, but you kind of have to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, just the whole That's milieu. A great point. Yeah. Um, so the original author, Moses, would have taken a lot of um, information for granted, so to speak, um, yeah. when he wrote to that original audience. And so it is hard to understand if you weren't in that culture and day and age. Um, because he did take some things for granted, likely. Um, the other hard part about it is it's just obsolete with the New Testament and Jesus. Um, not meaning that Leviticus has no meaning or purpose for God's people now, but meaning that since Jesus has come as the full and final sacrifice, it's easy for us to look at Leviticus and say, Jesus did it all. We can just move on mm. and skip Leviticus and move straight to Numbers. Um, and then, but as, then you have to ask yourself, what is the all that Jesus did? Sure, and that drives you back oh, to Leviticus. Oh, uh, Leviticus is it's rich, and so I, so when can we expect the sermon series on Leviticus? I'll tell you, <laughs> I've heard some amazing <laughs> sermon series on Leviticus, yeah. and I would not put it off the table um, nice. for a sermon series in the next few years. It's it's a great sermon series, actually. Um, 
And the other the other reason it can be hard to understand for us is because as Western evangelicals, we just don't have as much ritual in our worship. And ritual actually can seem constraining to us. And you've got a lot of rituals laid out for you in Leviticus and how God's people are supposed to approach um, God uh, in worship. And so uh, ritual can be negative if it's dead ritual, um, but ritual can also be a lattice um, that uh, is a, allows us to, to worship the Lord um, as we organically kind of grow the fruit of worship. Mm-hmm. It provides some rails for us, yes. so to speak. Yes. Every Sunday, I mean, we've got a pretty um, set liturgy. Um, we've got a pretty set ritual for worship at Trinity Grace. Um, and hopefully it's not dead formalism. Hopefully it allows you to come and know what to expect, the movements that we're going to make so that you can engage in worship in a more rich, vibrant way. And you engage in worship with your five senses more when there's an element of, I'm a big fan of ritual just conceptually, um, partially because it's so absent. And so when you're able to engage in a a higher liturgy or something that just involves a little bit more of you doing stuff. Yep. Um, it, I don't know. I'm someone who relies on my five senses. I, I, I don't consider myself very spiritual or, or emotional. And so, um, having something to just sort of ground myself back to is, uh-huh. um, very helpful. Sure. Yeah. And we're embodied, we're embodied beings. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something to be said for ritual, even in how we use our body with, and we don't do this at Trinity Grace. Maybe we'll do it one day. I, I would love uh, to potentially have kneelers um, where we are actually communicating with our body during the confession of sin, what our hearts are feeling um, by prostrating ourselves in some way as best we can in a sanctuary, um, lifting hands. You know, we don't do that much as Presbyterians, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it's allowing our bodies to participate in what our hearts are feeling. Um, and then I also think, I mean, this is a tangent in some ways, but we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater um, with the Roman Catholic Church that puts a lot of premium on aesthetics and beauty. And even now, I, I don't want to sound heretical by saying this, even with smells um, and, and, and things that you hear with your ears, beautiful music. I mean, the church is responsible for creating some of the most beautiful music that the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. And that's not an accident. Um, it's because we're embodied creatures. Um, and so all of this comes into play when we worship, or at least should. And uh, I don't want to bash on Presbyterians because I am one and I love them. Um, but there is room to grow for us as yeah. a tradition in that area. There's I a think. reason why Presbyterian churches don't have motion-activated lights in their uh, sanctuaries. <laughs> Some good Babylon <laughs> Bee articles uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. uh, on that. Um, and then the other reason uh, Leviticus can be hard for us is it's just 27 chapters of law. I mean, little narrative. And so... You know, you're not you're not getting pushed along with uh, exciting stories in yeah. Leviticus like you are in other parts of the Pentateuch. Um, so that that's why Leviticus can sometimes be a struggle to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the reasons why it is important. We've hit hit on it a little bit, um, but why do you think we should study Leviticus? Uh, well, I think the most important reason we should study Leviticus is that it is central to the work of Jesus. I mean, if you want to understand sin, atonement, holiness, um, you gotta read Leviticus. It's really hard to understand the work of Jesus without understanding Leviticus. 
And so first and foremost, I'd say Leviticus is a primer to get to Jesus. Um, it is uh, setting you up to understand his life, death, and resurrection. Um, I would say unlike any other book of the Old Testament. And so um, important to understand uh, that if you want to understand Jesus, Leviticus, the book. Um, it's the sixth most, most quoted book from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so obviously the writers of the New Testament did not think it was obsolete. Um, they were using it often um, to point to uh, Jesus and what he was up to, specifically in the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. You see Leviticus touched upon. You can't understand the book of Hebrews, which talks all about Jesus as being the full and final sacrifice without understanding Leviticus mm-hmm. first. But at the same time... You can't really understand Leviticus without understanding Hebrews. <laughs> sure. So, I yeah. mean, this, all of this is just to say that all of Scripture kind of fits together. Yeah. And so you, you have to have an understanding of, of all of it because um, you, you talked about Leviticus being one of the most uh, quoted books in the New Testament. I, I also think today it's one of the most misquoted books by Christians and non-Christians to either, I don't know, engage in some sort of culture bashing from Christians or to, to, um, I would say unjustly criticize the faith on the part of mm-hmm. non-Christians. So having an understanding of what, what, what its purpose really is and where it fits in the grander narrative of scripture is vitally important. Sure. Uh, yeah. And it's important also to remember too, um, I think they both tie into each other. Um, but when, when the original readers of Leviticus, um, their original participants in that in that sacrificial system would have been participating in worship. Um, there's a sense that they had that you know sin had to be dealt with, but at that point in time, it'd be hard for for us to think about them thinking of a future person mm-hmm. that was going to come and accomplish those things, which I think is an interesting thing to actually stop every once in a while and put ourselves in the original listener's shoes. Which is hard to do. I mean, you can't ever do it perfectly with all that we know now. But at that point in redemptive history, um, God's people simply thought, well, animal sacrifice might be the way that we relate with God for for the rest of our lives, mm. potentially. Um, and so now we know that it was meant to point to something bigger and better. We can't be 100% sure they were aware of that in the moment. They were relating to God with with the revelation they had received. Um, and that's just an aside. I mean, as you're reading the Old Testament, it's it's so it's so um, tempting to fast forward yeah. to what we know. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We definitely should. But to let ourselves sit in the tension a little bit longer, I think sometimes would be helpful to try to understand the original audience and the authorial intent before we move to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think it just helps um, us understand the Bible. Yeah. Um, in the way that it was meant to be understood. So that is one of the major themes there in Leviticus is sacrifices and the, and the role that they play. Um, you know, I'm thinking of somewhere in one of the prophets where um, God basically says, I, I desire, was I don't desire sacrifices, but a pure heart or something like that. I'm getting the yep. quote wrong, but, but there is sort of this sense of, um, you know, there had to have been some level of understanding of this is not it yes, or that this is somehow incomplete, even if that wasn't fully grasped grasped by the average peasant illiterate Israelite. 
Mm. It must have been grasped at some level by the political rulers, which were because of the just the nature of the theocracy were were religious rulers and some of the priests too. So there had to be something of something there of this sort of routinely several times a day slaughtering animals to beg God for forgiveness of sin is not um can't be a perpetual system, right? Yeah. There has to be a prophet hmm. greater than Moses and a sacrifice to to end it all. Sort sure. Of That's a great point. And I think of Psalm 51, which I think is what you're hinting at when David in his confession of sin says, you don't desire sacrifice yeah, or I would that's give it. it. Yeah. What you desire is a broken and a contrite heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's a great point. Um, uh you know, now did the average Israelite look around and say, this can't be it? I don't know. Maybe. But you, you get the sense that even in the Old Testament, they, they had a, a sense that, you know, we're moving somewhere with yeah, this. Yeah. And so that's, that's, a, that's an important point. And I think more than anything, Leviticus uh, is important because it, it teaches us um, how relationship with God is going to work. Um, how's a holy God? Because if you think about it in the, in the context of when Leviticus was written, the tabernacle instructions had just been given, and God's people are thinking, wow, the Lord, the holy, sovereign Lord of all the earth is about to come and make his camp right in the middle of ours. How is this relationship going to work with a holy God and a sinful people? And Leviticus comes and it answers that question. Mm-hmm. Um, Leviticus points us to how God is going to be able to deal with um, a sinful people. And so uh, God's people are on the way um, to the promised land. Uh, they stop in Sinai. God gives them the law, gives them instructions for the tabernacle. And now he says, I want to re-enter covenant with you in some ways. I want to dwell among you. And he's describing how to deal with their sin and impurity. Um, and without Leviticus, the Israelites would have no clue how to coexist with a holy God. And so in many ways, it's a book of grace, a book that reveals how we as sinful people can live with the holy God. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some of those ways? What are some of the main themes about how that works that stick out in Leviticus? Well, the big themes uh, are really, I mean, the main theme is atonement. Um, atonement is the big theme there. You've got lots of animal sacrifice. In fact, the first seven chapters of Leviticus outline different types of sacrifices that God's people are meant to make. Some sacrifices are simply sacrifices of thanksgiving, um, where you would sacrifice animals to show your thanks to the Lord. Uh, Others are simply sacrifices that please the Lord. They do it because it pleases Him. Others are sacrifices for sin, sin that they um, committed that they need forgiveness and restoration and purification for. And if you think about it, um, we can still offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now, we don't do it through goats or bulls, but we can offer sacrifices in other more spiritual ways through our praise and worship on Sunday mornings. I mean, that's pleasing in the Lord's sight. Um, we can offer sacrifices by the way that we give of our time or our money, um, and that's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Um, but then sacrifices for sin, we can't make those sacrifices. That sacrifice has been made by Jesus once and for all. Um, and so it's interesting to think about sacrifices today. Obviously, we don't do it like they did physically, but we can still talk about sacrifice in some ways. Um, but when we talk about atonement, we, we got to talk about how the Lord hates evil and he's got to punish it. Um, and the fact that the Lord punishes sin and evil 
um, should fill us with lots of fear, um, but it also should fill us with hope as we read Leviticus because through Leviticus, we're understanding um, how God is going to take care of the sin that he experiences in our hearts and life, basically by requiring blood, Mm -hmm. um, by requiring sacrifice in order for us to be purified um, and brought back into relationship with him. And that's where it ultimately points to Jesus, um, this idea of atonement, the perfect atonement that Jesus makes on our behalf. Um, And so anytime you read about atonement in the book of Leviticus, you should have the idea of ransom in mind, um, that the ransom is paid um, uh, by the guilty party to the innocent party. Um, We offer something um, like a goat or a lamb. Uh, in order uh, for God to to receive us back, um, something has to die so that we can be received back into relationship. Um, now, we can't offer a perfect lamb or a perfect goat that would please God for all of time. Only he could do that through the lamb uh, of God, which is his son, Jesus. But then also atonement is meant to bring purification to us, to lift the pollution of sin in some ways. And so both ransom and purity um, or ideas that we should think about when we see atonement in the book of Leviticus, God has to be appeased. Um, There's a price that has to be paid. Justice has to be served. And we've got to be cleansed. Mm -hmm. And when you read about atonement or sacrifice in Leviticus, both of those things are happening. Somebody's paying a price. Somebody's dying um, for sin that was committed. And then purity is being offered. Um, people are being purified because of the death that happened. And so, um, yeah, in in Leviticus, Leviticus sixteen, there's an entire religious holiday is not the best word, but festival called uh-huh. the Day of Atonement. I think in modern Jewish calendar, this is Yom Kippur, but yeah. maybe I got that wrong. Yep. Um, but the Day of Atonement is described there in Leviticus sixteen, and I don't think there's a a spot in the book that better sort of epitomizes this idea of ransom than the the scapegoat. A lot of folks might not know we get our the modern idea of a scapegoat from mm. Leviticus where there would be a goat brought and the high priest would lay its hands on the head of the goat and um, I lay the sins of all of the people onto this animal, mm-hmm. um, I guess just metaphorically or, or so, but sort yep. of symbolizing the the burdening this animal uh, with all the sins of the people and then running this animal out of the camp. It was literally like blamed for everything and then run out of town in the same way that Jesus is blamed for all of our sin and was crucified outside the camp, quote unquote, mm-hmm. of Jerusalem. Yep. So uh, the the symbolism of Jesus is all throughout Leviticus in terms of uh, the, the sacrifices and the scapegoat and all these other things. Yep. I, I just think that one section is so it just crystallizes it so well yes yep and you think of the day of atonement too where that was the one day where the great high priest was permitted to go into the holy of holies in order to offer atonement for god's people and then with jesus what you have happening during his crucifixion Mm. is the temple curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies being torn in two symbolizing that no longer did a priest have to go and um, and and represent God's people before God. Um, now we could all come because our great High Priest Jesus Christ is once and for all, you know, coming to the Holy of Holies and yeah. and made purification for us. 
Can we talk about this idea of clean versus unclean? This this certainly is something that comes up throughout the book of Leviticus and is um, it is a way of thinking about things that we certainly don't use today. So just wondering what you think the big deal there is. Yeah, I always grew up thinking that clean and unclean meant sinful and sinless. Um, I always grew up thinking that clean and unclean or pure and impure, as Leviticus talks about it, um, were moral states. But it's important to understand that in Leviticus, um, it's not talking necessarily about you being more righteous than another person. Um, it's talking about a ritual state. Um, clean and unclean um, uh, are basically uh, ideas that Leviticus gives us um, to how we relate to God and community. Um, and it's not necessarily commenting on whether or not we're sinful or sinless. Um, and so um, let's say to become impure, which you read a lot about in Leviticus, was not necessarily wrong. So for instance, you could become impure by having a baby. And you would have to spend, I don't know, if it was 7 or 14 days um, apart from community, cleansing your impurity so that you could come back into community at the end of that cleansing period. Um, if you engaged in sexual relation with your spouse, that would leave you impure for a day where you would have to cleanse yourself in order to come back into community um, with God's people. And so uh, it really had a few different um, uh, intentions, this, this idea of cleanliness and uncleanliness. First, it was practical. It set God's people apart from the rest of the world, from the other nations that surrounded them. Um, they were constantly reminded that God was holy, and therefore they had to be holy, as Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45 says. And these unclean and clean laws, these pure and impure laws, were there to constantly remind them of God's holiness or His set-apartness, and also to remind them that they needed to be set apart in order to relate with Him. Um, and that was the theological um, uh, background of this unclean, clean distinction uh, it taught about relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It had a theological purpose. And so unclean was really a picture of sin. Um, it was a picture of how sin has corrupted people on the inside, but it was an outside picture of internal reality, so to speak. And you notice that Jesus comes, and when he comes, he says, nothing outside a person makes them unclean. It's what comes from their heart that makes them unclean, basically getting at the heart of Leviticus. Mm. The, the, the clean and unclean, the pure and impure laws were meant to point us to something deeper, something that was in our hearts. And so I'll say this. It was just hard to stay clean. Yeah. Um, you couldn't go throughout a, a normal week as an Israelite living in the camp and not come upon something that made you unclean, which was a constant reminder to you, a teaching tool um, that that sin and immorality can't be avoided, but we can be delivered by it mm. through purification and through atonement, um, which is what we talked about just a minute ago mm -hmm. um, that would lead us into that discussion now. But um, uh, just the idea of clean and unclean. I think the most important thing to think about is it's not righteous or unrighteous. Right. You know, so many of those cleanliness laws had to do with folks that had a bodily discharge of some kind. Um, I mean, these are things that just happen in the course of regular human life. So again, to your point, um, basically the, the, the point sort of where these 
laws are written, it's not arbitrary. It's almost as though to say you cannot live a human life without being plagued by the effects of sin. Yep. Um, so you see them concerning bodily discharges, also concerning skin diseases. And and I think the point there is just that it was so visible, right? Like you could sure. really see it. Um, but so if you had a bodily discharge or you had a skin disease, you were unclean and you had to sort of remove yourself from polite society and from religious life and had to um, cleanse yourself according to the law. What I find very interesting is that during Jesus's life, he healed people specifically who had skin diseases and who had bodily discharges and other things that I'm sure were, were mentioned mm-hmm. in Leviticus as well. So whereas before you had people who were sort of thrust from religious life because of this, these things, now you have God in the flesh coming and bringing those exact people back into uh, religious community yep. with God. Yep. It's a beautiful picture. Some of these folks, like the the woman who had the bodily discharge mm-hmm. for 12 years or however long it was in the Gospels, um, had not experienced the religious community you talk about for for decades yeah. more, or more. Mm-hmm. And here comes Jesus welcoming them back into community. Yeah. Yep. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, other thoughts on Leviticus? Final closing remarks? Um, do you want to talk about food laws? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We can end on that. Why couldn't they eat bacon and shrimp? Because I like to wrap one around the other. Why couldn't they eat lobster? <laughs> I actually, I actually think this is uh, this is a question that a lot of folks have, and I've, we've gotten it before, specifically from my wife. Mm. Um, she had questions about food laws in Leviticus, um, and I think that it also goes back to what we were talking about. There's a practical purpose. It separates God's people from the rest of the nations. Um, and it shows them that they're meant to be a people that are set apart. But it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament laws, there's a lot of them that are just simply hygienic mm-hmm. um, with regard to rashes and how you're supposed to basically quarantine yourself for a number of days or sicknesses, yeah. mold in the house. Um, and so a lot of folks will come and say that these food laws point to something hygienic. Impure animals were not hygienic. Um, whereas pure animals were more hygienic, and so it helped the health of the nation, which God was concerned about. Yeah, we often forget that not only was this a religious, were these religious laws, but these were laws for a, a nation's state, a, yeah. politi- a political entity. I mean, it would have been what's the food department these days yeah. that go to restaurants and give them scores? That's right. This was this was the FDA of, yes. of ancient uh, Israel, the the original FDA, um, <laughs> and so they, that that's one small aspect of these food laws that are just interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, the other is um, uh, some people would surmise on the behavior. For instance, pigs wallow in the dirt and they're considered impure. Um, and so uh, cows chew and they symbolize meditating on God's word. Um, you get this idea from some rabbis, hmm. I think, that have written throughout the years um, that there is some behavioral elements to these animals that make them pure and impure. The thing is, you don't get any clear indication from Scripture itself. Yeah about what makes an animal pure or impure. So it's left up to speculation. It's left up to rabbis or teachers discerning whether or not what you know what's going on here. Another uh, uh, reason that folks would say some are pure and impure, um, and this approach I think has some merit. In fact, one of my seminary professors who is a Levitical scholar um, talks about the standard for land animals was chewing the cud and split hooves, and animals that didn't fit the standard were considered impure. 
and sea animals without fins and scales didn't measure up to the standard that Israel expected. And so they were considered impure. Um, and, you know, there's lots that can be talked about there, disagreements that can have. I think at the end of the day, though, the main reason um, that you see the food laws in place is uh, they're meant to set Israel apart, yeah. just like the re- rest of Leviticus. That and last so, one I find a little bit strange because it even specifies, like, what kind of insects and lizards you could eat. So Yeah, sure. <laughs> Those well, are certainly not the standard of land animal. I don't know his reasoning behind that. Um, it would be interesting to have a deeper conversation. Yeah. Um, I would be shocked if he didn't have a good reason oh, for sure, why he sure. had said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't know it off the top of my head. You know, I'm inclined to think that the primary reason was just um, practical separ- separation from the nations. Yeah. And, I, and I think that because when after Jesus's uh, life, death and resurrection, when you have Jews and Gentiles uniting, the food laws are what what separate uh, that's what goes away because that's kind of what was separating them. Yep. So I think that's primarily what it was. Why was it so shellfish or why was it pork? I think there's speculation there. Pork was probably one of the cheapest sources of protein. And so that was a very, I guess, obvious point of separation between Mm -hmm. the Israelites and, and surrounding nations, because there probably would have been pigs everywhere. Yep. And when they ate, this was kept in front of their minds Mm that they were set apart and people would know that Jews or Israelites did not eat pigs. Um, and so an application for us in some ways today that we can extend this into 21st century Christianity is how do people know that we're set apart as Christians? Yeah. Um, and you could give a number of different answers to that question, um, but there is still an aspect that we can apply um, to how, how do folks know that we're set apart? Mm-hmm. And these food laws really were pointing to that very um, blatantly um, as God's people followed him yeah. in the surrounding nations. It's important that. to say, too, that this was unique to the theocracy of Israel. And so it's not yes. something that's that's um, practiced today. Interestingly enough, I think the only other place in Scripture besides sort of the Israelite era that you see the clean-unclean distinction is... Do you know what it is? Uh, is it is Max it chapter 10 and 11? No, I was going to say uh, Noah on the ark. Oh, okay. Bring in some clean and some unclean animals. Ah, yeah. And then yeah. after the For ark, he says, I give you every clean animal. Sure. So it's like the ark was like a little mini theocracy. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you got me thinking about, and I know we need to wrap up here, but uh, when Peter in Acts chapter 10 and 11 sees the sheet coming uh-huh. down from yeah. heaven, and he says, rise, kill, and eat, Peter. Um, basically there, Jesus and the Lord are putting an end to food laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have pig now, which I'm so thankful for because I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> and pulled pork and and pork ribs are that's right. a thing on the menu. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I I like Leviticus. As I've learned more about it, it's become. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a slog to read through if you're doing it. But um, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier of like you really got to understand Leviticus to understand what Jesus did. Um, I think I think if you don't have a good understanding of Leviticus, you're understanding of the gospel is, is, is compromised. Sure. You know? So yeah, I think this was, was a good conversation. I think next week we'll tackle numbers and Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So folks at home, we appreciate you tuning in. Look forward to, to you tuning in next week. Hey, we'd like to get your questions. If you're curious about any of this stuff that we talked about, uh, please send those questions in to questions at Trinity You can email them to that address. Or you can text those questions anonymously to the number you'll find on the back of your Sunday morning bulletin. 
Um, we'd really appreciate questions during this series. I think it would really help to drive the conversation and just let folks know, let us know what folks are curious about. So it helps kind of tailor uh, what Michael and I are, are talking about on the pod. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in until next time. We'll see you later.